this is Tom Bailey, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's comedian David Huntsberger. And I think it's so odd that the group that more often than not uh, aligns with current conservative side of things would <laughs> put themselves behind a guy who has never hunted, does not go outdoors, <laughs> doesn't drink beer, doesn't own a dog, just well, on and on all these things. You're like, this is not your guy. If David Huntsberger, not only a stand-up comedian, he's also a television presenter, as they say in the UK. And we had another great chat with David. I haven't spoke to him in about uh, two or three years. We have a song of the week coming up from a group called uh, The Tribe of Good. I think you're really going to enjoy that. But first, we have a, a dumb bit slash concert review for you. So it's a combination uh, dumb bit concert review, and they, the two things go together. Uh, this past Wednesday, I went and saw uh, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, which is, if you listen to the podcast before uh, and have any sense of the of PF and PFC recording, you know that OMD are uh, one of my two favorite bands, along with the Beach Boys. And so they have not uh, headlined in Cincinnati, I don't think, since the 80s. Uh, they were here once, opening for Bare Naked Ladies a couple of years ago. And other than that, they hadn't been here since they were here with Depeche Mode, again, as an opener. So I- I'm going to the show, thinking that no one is going to be here. And uh, Bogarts is your garden variety-sized uh, concert venue, I would say. You probably have one like it in your city, wherever you are. And I think it holds maybe 50. 1500 maybe 2000 if they open up the upstairs i'm not sure but it the it doesn't really give you a sense of it but uh, you know just picture a, like a garden variety movie theater side that's about the, what the side the floor space is maybe a little bigger they filled about three-fourths of the floor which i was pretty amazed by because again i think i'm the only idiot that knows who they are because if you know omd and you live in the united states or canada particularly you know them as the guys that sing if you leave from the pretty pink soundtrack which, which went to number four in 1986 and that's pretty much the end of it and then you may know some other songs uh, maybe from MTV or from, you know, New Wave Radio back in the 80s. But that's essentially probably all you know is if you leave. So I figure everybody is, is like that, and I have, to, I have to tell people who they are. So, oh, it's the If You Leave guys. Oh, okay. They've got more songs than that? Yes, they do. So anyway, uh, they're headlining, they, uh, and it was just, it was fantastic. And and I know um, you say, well, they're your favorite band. Of course it was fantastic. No, if if it was rubbish, I would, I would tell you. Uh, they, it was... Well, let me put it to you this way. Again, I thought I was the only weirdo that was going to show up for this thing. I have never seen such an enthusiastic crowd for a band in all my life. And believe me, again, I thought I was the only weirdo. Apparently, I was not. Uh, they actually, and maybe I'm just imagining things. Maybe I am colored because it's you know that's my favorite band. But it seemed they had to take an extra long time between songs. Uh, to start songs, just because the crowd was cheering and whooping it up so much, and at several times, the, the core members, Andy McCluskey and Paul Humphreys, uh, would look at each other and astonished, like, people are really cheering this loud for us? And when they left after the first set, before they came back out for the encore, the crowd was yelling, OMD, OMD. And I know a lot of bands get that, but again, it just surprised me that they were getting that kind of adulation, and, and rightly so. And an- another thing I've also pointed out in the past is, I guess one of the reasons they've stayed... Uh, my favorite band or second favorite band is that they continue to make records and they continue to make good records. They had a record out two years ago called The Punishment of Luxury, which is really good. I think it, you know, it holds up well with the rest of their catalog where, you know, some bands either just stop making music altogether and tour on their catalog. Billy Joel, Huey Lewis, you know, not mad at them, but 
fine. That's you know, they people were still happy to pay to see that, and that's cool. And other groups, I won't name names, but some groups from that era, they still made albums, but you know, they're just eh, you know, they're just not as good. So anyway, there's the review for OMD. Um, I said I wasn't going to go see them. Uh, they're up in Dayton. I'm recording this on Saturday, September 7th. They're up in Dayton, September 8th. Uh, they are going to feature for the B-52s. They're the middle act. Uh, Berlin is the opener opener. And I thought, well, I'm, I saw them headline in Cincinnati. I don't no need to go up to Dayton. I'll be going to Dayton tomorrow to see B-52s and OMD. So maybe I'll have a brief review of that next week. All right, so... The, uh, the bit that goes along with this is uh, I noticed in my Facebook feed that a lot of folk, you know, I'm in the uh, OMD group, the Human League group, Synthpop, all these different groups on Facebook. And it's not all that I like, but I, I'm very uh, passionate about uh, my Synthpop. And uh, so someone, I think it was in the, oh, uh, in the OMD group and the Human League group, both said, hey, they're repeating Synth Britannia on Channel 4 tonight. Uh, it's over in Britain. And you can watch this on YouTube, Synth Britannia. It's from about seven years ago. It's like the name suggests. It's a documentary about synth pop uh, in Britain from the very start in the early 70s. They influenced a craft work coming over from Germany, working its way up through the mid to late 80s. And I, this is one of my favorite documentaries ever about anything. But I do have one beef, and I posted about this in some of the conversations online. But I forgot to share it with you folks. And if you don't want to hear about it, just skip ahead to David Huntsberger. I don't care. Anyway, there's a spot in the documentary. They're going pretty much chronologically through all the bands. They get up to Pet Shop Boys. And love, love, love the Pet Shop Boys, man. Remember, in fact, I was on a couple weeks ago how astonished I was that they were on stage with Killers uh, doing A Human. And they did uh, Always On My Mind, which is probably the greatest live thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, either live or just a video of it. Uh, insane. I wish I could have been at Glastonbury to see that. But anyway, so, the, and this isn't Pet Shop Boys' fault, by the way, but the producers of Synth Britannia, uh, you know, are extolling Pet Shop Boys, you know, saying, well, here, here's a clip of the of the Pet Shop Boys, but starting with how Neil Tennant views the, their place in the whole synth pop movement. Because we were the last of the thing that started with the Human League, and we were probably the first of the thing where pop music was related to dance music. And then there's this little uh, explanation of, you know, the trajectory of electronic music at that point. The Pet Shop Boys gave us a glimpse of what the future held for British electronic music. And then there's a guy that's commenting through the whole documentary. His name is Simon Reynolds. He was a, a I guess he still is a, a journalist, music journalist over in Britain. I used to read his stuff in Melody Maker back in the day. And, and he launches off with this. It sort of starts, uh, I guess, round about 83. It was just overdone. It was saturated. There was too much synth pop around. It's all very well it was being on a synth, but actually the actual m m melodies and the way the songs were structured were really pretty traditional and quite trite, you know. It wasn't that inventive as electronic music. Okay, so you're hearing uh, Howard Jones there and Thompson Twins, and that's, yes, that's 1983. Pet Shop Boys didn't release their first uh, single, I think, until late 1985 in the UK and then early 1986 in the United States, uh, West End Girls. And I'm sorry, you can't praise Pet Shop Boys and say how great they are, and they are, and then go back and take a poke at Howard Jones and Tom Bailey of Thompson Twins. Get out of here. What are you, nuts? 
And, and this this notion that, oh, it wasn't inventive, was it? You know the bass sound you hear, the electronic bass sound you hear in like all electronic music and all synth music from like mid 80s on? You know who discovered that sound? Mr. Tom Bailey, thank you very much. He took, his instrument's called a clavinet, and on the synthesizer, he found a little button for it, and he discovered if you play it down really low on the keyboard, it sounds exactly like a bass, but the thing is, you can make it ridiculously loud, and it won't get lost in the mix. It won't get crushed by all the other stuff going on top of it. And then people started looking for that sound, and of course it morphed into, you know, with the electronic bass sound that you know today, but um, yeah, not inventive. Yeah, F you, Simon Reynolds. All right. <laughs> so anyway, that's my uh, rant on that. That is the dumb bit for today, and uh, hey, let's go on to the interview. David Huntsberg is a stand-up comedian originally from Reno, Nevada, but he didn't grow up in show business or around casinos. He grew up on a ranch, and uh, you know him from headlining clubs across the country and hosting TV shows on Sci-Fi Channel and I believe Discovery as well. Here now is our interview with David Huntsberger. Super. Well, it's been uh, a while since we spoke. Um, so uh, I guess a good place to start is uh, what's new with you, man? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think when the last time I was there was. Um, I probably already had my Space Cave podcast at that point, um, but I've been <laughs> continuing to do that. We Let's see. We ended Professor Blastoff, uh, I think, before the last time I spoke with you. And then um, getting ready to do a new CD. Oh, I think one new thing in the interim, um, we, like, I made a sort of Kickstarter funded, made this real bizarre stand-up special that uh, involved a bunch of animators and artists and people made all these paper mache things for costuming. We even had someone volunteer uh, who was like a seamstress. So it was almost it was a lot like, and uh, Three Amigos, like, what What does this town do well? Like, we can sew. <laughs> it was an extension of that where everyone that was good at something that was artistic, I had mentioned on Professor Glasgow, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing in Austin. If you want to help, let me know. And people just slowly would trickle in, like, I can animate or I can draw or I can make things, uh, I can make 3D uh, like not necessarily paper mache, but just models of things. And then the final one was, I can sew. And so anyway, we made this special and flew a bunch of people down there and, and shot all this stuff and, it, and the animation was a part of it. And uh, and then it just kind of disappeared. Nothing really happened to it for a few years. And that recently, it, it's on Amazon Prime, which I have mixed feelings about Amazon, as everyone does. Um, but it is like, there's, it's also on the Roku channel now. So that's been a cool development that it, that it can be seen. It was so weird to put all that time and effort in. And then it kind of just disappeared, and then Professor Blastoff went behind a paywall. It was, like, in, impossible to find. So it suddenly was, like, all this stuff I put all these hours and hours into was just non-existent. Um, so anyway, that thing's on Amazon now, so people can see that, and that's been kind of nice to for it to float out into the world a little bit. And what's it called? It's called One-Headed Beast. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Is it is it free with my Prime membership, or is it... Uh... It is, yeah. Oh boy, okay. It's free to stream. Oh, okay, yeah. great. I'll watch um, it when we get off here because I can I can run that through my TiVo and uh, get it sorted that way. Great. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Uh, yeah, so I guess last time we spoke too, um, I had heard you on Marin's podcast around the same time talking about how you, you know growing up in Reno and you had all these kind of uh, I guess 
uh, horror skills. And I don't remember if I had mentioned this. I must have been you. I don't know anybody else from that area that my brother now lives out close to where you grew up uh, in Gardnerville, uh, kind of in the Carson City, Reno uh, metroplex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very familiar with Gardnerville. My uncle used to run a lot of cows there, and we would play peewee football against the Gardnerville kids, and they were always really tough. They were just like <laughs> tough farm kind of ranch kids. So we'd get, you know, like, oh, damn it, we got to play Gardnerville. And it's just like they could hit pretty hard. And um, it's gorgeous there, though. Gardnerville's just a great area. Yeah, I see pictures of my uh, my new sister-in-law on uh, Instagram. She's always sending pictures. They're very close to Tahoe there, uh, I reckon. And they chose that, though, because um, they moved from Florida. They wanted to be close to her family in Northern California, but I think there was it was cost prohibitive to do that. And my brother calls California the People's Republic of California. So... <laughs> Oh, I see. Right? Is he uh, is he an off the grid kind of guy? No, not an off the grid kind of guy, but just extremely conservative. He was upset that, um, and he'll never listen to this, so I don't mind telling you. He was upset that in in Florida, he he was tired of not hearing people uh, speak English. He'd go into Home Depot and and he'd hear people not speaking English. I'm like, well, when you get your stuff though, can they help you in English? He goes, well, yeah. And I go, well, then who gives a shit? I don't care if they're speaking Spanish. (laughs) They can find my hammer, my light switch. I don't give a damn. So yeah, it's that kind of situation. <laughs> but, oh man, we could get fully into this because you guys being brothers, I, it's so strange and raised under the same roof that people would go such drastically different ways with that sort of stuff. I feel like it's it's a like almost a genetic thing where some people are just predisposed to whether it's the news they watch and or I don't know what it is, but it is so odd that people take that sort of speak American kind of mindset. Where's that come from? You know? Well, we're five years apart. And when I was 12, he went into the Navy. So that thing, that kind of like trajectory, I think kind of helped pushed him in that direction. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. Because before that, I think, I, I think we were all rooting for president Carter back in the 76 election. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, once, <laughs> once he joined the military, um, cause I remember watching that election with, with my mom, we were giving her a report. She was, um, working late in her room, just grading papers. And we kept running back in saying, Oh, here, this is giving her the election results. And, um, and I, I pretty, I'm pretty sure we were rooting for president Carter, all of us, but, um, yeah, I think the military thing kind of pushed him in that, in that direction. You know? And there you have it. So, hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess that's one thing. I know plenty of people that were in the military though, that didn't come out of it. Oh yeah. Like yeah, a yeah. more... Oh, my uncle's that way. my uncle's almost a communist. So <laughs> he was in the army. <laughs> he was in the army, and although he, it's weirdly, when the flag burning thing first happened, not like this last time around, but like back in the '80s when it was a big thing, he was mm-hmm. really mad about that. Even though he was like completely liberal union guy in every other way, people burning the flag really upset him. So it was just that one issue. He was like, he hated the flag burners, but everything else, he was in a union. He was totally, you know. Uh, a liberal guy, so it really strange. Hmm. I guess one of those blue collar liberals, I reckon. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that is that is strange. And uh, you have one sibling, right? A s- yeah, I have a younger sister. That's right. Okay, yeah. So, and, so how did, did did she turn out to be like one way or the other extreme from you? Or <laughs> no, we're pretty similarly. I, we, I I don't know what you can attribute it to. Her mom was uh, pretty easygoing. My dad's family is a little more like, um, we were like Reagan Republicans, I guess. I think they just didn't want anyone taking their money. Um, 
beyond that, and there was not a lot of political discussion either way. Yeah. And there was on both sides, it was just a lot of like treat people how you want to be treated kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. um, my sister and I, I feel like she's very rational. She doesn't really like to talk about politics, but every now and again, she'll be like, you know, she's a teacher. So she's, okay. in, in a lot of ways, like on the ground floor, you know, she's working with kids and she's part of like, I would assume what she sort of at her core feels like is the, the biggest part of the solution is just like, if you just have an educated young population, there's a better chance that in the future there'll be well-adjusted adults. And I yeah. to agree with that as well. Absolutely. Um, it's, you know, growing up out where you grew up, I, I guess you kind of have that it's the opposite of my uncle where you have uh, conservative people, but also they also are very um, more environmentally aware, shall we say? Cause People always think it's – I've uh, – my friend's friend from college, a uh, big Bruce Springsteen guy, but I don't think he might not be one anymore because he's really conservative. And, of course, Bruce you know, played a concert for President Obama in Cleveland, and I think that might have yeah. turned him – and my favorite band is the Beach Boys, who are huge, huge Reagan supporters all, were all the way through. But as I read in several of their biographies, they always had – they were always hammering him – for environmental legislation, because of course you know they like the the ocean and you know the the Big Sur and, and all that stuff. So it's um it's kind of interesting how that kind of stuff happens. It's so weird how people have to make uh, a hard decision to then therefore cut everything out of their life that doesn't one hundred percent align with that. More often, I think that like the you know growing up like it's all around Cardinalville, and, and if you're raising cattle, you want the water to be clean, exactly, you want the air to be pretty yeah. breathable. So most people that hunt, you know, I grew up hunting a bunch, like mostly just birds. But, you know, you go out to hunt birds, you don't want to see a bunch of trash everywhere. And then, so we had guns and all these sort of things that were now like polarizing. You're either this or you're this. Yeah. I just don't really get it. And I think it's so odd that the group that more often than not uh, aligns with current conservative side of things would put themselves behind a guy who has never hunted, does not go outdoors, <laughs> no. doesn't drink beer, doesn't own a dog, can't grow, grow any facial hair, just well, on and on all these things. You're like, this is not your guy. If, if you count like, golf I, courses. I grew up around, around a lot of like, jacked up pickup trucks. <laughs> this dude was not there. <laughs> if you count golf courses, he goes outside a ton. But yeah, other than <laughs> yeah, that, true. it's... it's yeah, and when I was a kid, I'm sure, like, you remember that. Like, people that golf were elitist pricks. You're like, yeah, golfing. <laughs> True. <laughs> I just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's come to this. My wife and I have thought of taking up golfing because we're, we're we're in our 50s now, and I guess that's what you do. If you want to get outdoors, <laughs> you go out onto a golf course. And uh, my boss said, well, the first thing you got to do is, um, advice for people out there, is learn how to swing the club first because the, the, the hardest thing to do is straighten out a bad swing. So. So, yeah. So if I ever find the time to do that, I'll I'll do that. So um, where where are you based now? Are you uh, you were in Austin for a while, right? Yeah, I was in Austin, and I've been in LA for a ten, little over ten years now. I thought so. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm a Los Angeles person to this point. We'll see how much longer that goes. Um, it seems likely we'll we'll stay, but we always kind of talk about a slower pace, sort of like a Gardnerville. There you type go. Type of, uh, you know, being out around quiet more frequently. I would imagine growing up that way, you would rob, you would miss that. Because, I mean, I, I grew up in a suburb, so if I lived in Los Angeles, it would just be like, you know, the, the suburb one level up because we were just out there over the summer, and that's pretty much what it seemed like. It is so odd. I mean, growing up where I could take my horse and just ride out in the desert and not see another person for hours, 
and then, you know, you would talk with your friends or I'd talk when I was just, you know, with, with other people in that world and be like, God, can you imagine being in one of those cities? How do they do it? And I'll see myself in traffic now and be like, how did this happen? This yeah. is so weird. <laughs> That's the exact opposite. <laughs> when we were out there, we were, and I've told some other folks this, uh, since I've, we've been out there, some other comedians that are based in Los Angeles, we, we thought the traffic thing was like, oh, that's just kind of a funny trope, and I'm sure it's a little worse than it is in Cincinnati, but it's, it's probably not too bad. It was horrific. It was literally, it's the, the, the place we're going to is in nine miles, my sister-in-law's navigating. How long will it take us to get there? Hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that depends on you, as you live by any place. You know, yeah. if you live in Houston, you wouldn't be out at 2 p.m. in July throwing around a football or playing golf. You kind of yeah. work your schedule around like, well, it's going to be really hot then. Yeah. And then traffic's the same way. Like, do, you know, no one schedules a meeting like, let's meet at 4.30. You would go, what are you talking about? No. <laughs> yeah. so, so what are you talking about on stage these days, man? Um, this stuff's a lot about, like, I think it stems from cow stuff and things like that. You know, how do you, how do you kind of come to terms with that we're, and it's not specifically from that, but I remember like growing up, there was this calf, and I think I talked about this on Marin's podcast, where we were in this field and this little calf, we were just kind of settling some cows. We had driven up into a different meadow, just kind of hanging out, just letting them all get, you know, cow's mother up with the calves and stuff. And this little calf came walking over as if he, like, saw through the social barriers. He was like, what's up with you guys? <laughs> and me and my buddy were standing like, what, what is, this has never happened. And he came over and we started petting him. He's, like, licking us and stuff. It was just unreal. And I kept my eye on him the rest of the summer. Like, hey, there's that calf. There's that calf. That's our buddy. So we'd stop over and go say hi to him. Hey, man. You know, and, like, pet him and stuff. And and every now and again, there's a story where uh, a cow or you know some sort of livestock, like a steer, jumps over the rail and is running through a city center, and people will share that footage. And sometimes people laugh, like, oh, man, this cow went into a building. But I always just see, like, a terrified soul, something that is just like, hey, I'm stuck in this thing. They're going to kill me. Get me out of here. And we come to terms with that of, like, yeah, that's just how it goes, like, so the most of this material, it seems like, is about where that might be in between, whether you, like, signed up to be a human or you were relegated to do it or there's, like, a punishment to be a cow or that you go into it knowing, like, no, a cow's pretty sweet. I don't have to work. It's great. Um, so a lot of the set is about that, those sort of concepts, if that makes any sense. Interesting. So does like the, the the science stuff, you know, play into the the stand up uh, a lot these days, or do you just kind of say that for the I podcast? Think so I mean, I think that I feel like science is just the only language to describe the universe at large. If you're using terms of, to describe what we live in, you would say that that we are in a solar system, that we are in a galaxy, that we are in the universe, and people go, "Whoa, science! What about science stuff?" You're like, "Well, no, that, that's like describing your house and just saying all the different rooms." Um, so I, I think science always factors into it, and there are a few little things that go in that are kind of just interesting little science tidbits that I enjoy. But I don't know. I don't know that it's specifically just like science comedy. Why do you think people listen to science? Say that again. Why do you think people listen to science? 
There's so many people that are reluctant. To, they just they don't want to believe science. They're just like, well, we know we can demonstrably demonstrate that this happens because this happens, this happens. So this will happen. And people are like, nope. There's this book that somebody wrote a long, long time ago, and it's been through a lot of rewrites. And we're going to go with that instead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you watch Chernobyl? No, I haven't yet. I got that's on my list. Okay, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a scene where they're in a helicopter, and there's a business guy who's just doing his job. He's being told. Take this dude and go check it out. Go look to where the core is. And the scientist has to go with him begrudgingly. He's like, shit, I do not want to be anywhere near this explosion. Uh, and as they're getting closer and closer to the smoke, they have the helicopter pilot, you have the business guy in the back, and then you have the scientist. And the business guy's going, Get out, go, go all the way over it, fly right over it. And the scientist is like, If you do that, we will all die. And then the pilot's kind of looking back, and the business guy goes, don't listen to him. Keep going. Because he's told what to do. He's just following orders. Someone else told him. Someone he trusted or, you know, looked up to, admired, respected. Uh, and that, to me, is such a perfect microcosm of climate change. Everyone that has all the information that has dedicated years. And I got, on my podcast, I'll talk with people that are legitimately like PhDs from Stanford and Yale and places that I trust, if nothing else, more so than a relative of mine who read one article in one magazine. And yet my relative will go, eh, I don't know. And I'll be like, <laughs> where are you getting your data? Where are you getting this? And so that scene in the helicopter is such a perfect, what would happen is people won't believe science. The moment science turns out to be right, they'll go, oh, you should have said something. And everyone would go, we did. We tweeted links every goddamn day. We screamed it at you. Well, you should have yelled louder. You, you were just, first you're an alarmist, and then you're a dickhead because you didn't yell loud enough. It's, uh, it's maddening. Yeah. I always trust the experts. And the example I always use is, um, even though I think economics is as quite as sound a science as, um, uh, you know, other sciences like physical sciences it's there's still people that study it and they're experts at it and one of the things they tell us is that um you know you know amazon didn't pay taxes last year and ge famously didn't pay taxes for five years and the economists say well you know really corporations shouldn't pay taxes the people that work for them should pay taxes but the corporations themselves shouldn't pay taxes and that's counterintuitive to somebody like me who is a lefty but i'm like well and th these are economists left and right though if that's what the experts say, then that's what I'm going to go with, even though it's counterintuitive to me. I will trust the experts. And I can't believe people don't do that with things like the environment or, you know, gun safety or anything for that matter. Is this your medicine? Anything. It's just, I don't know. I guess it's hard to, I guess it's hard to really just move people's belief systems. Yeah. I mean, I, from the other side of it, I try to be a little bit empathetic in that I don't know anything about economics. I saw the recent thing where the twos and tens graph that, you know, two year investment versus a 10 year investment and like where the, the rate is, uh, the 10 should always be, uh, lower. And then it inverted recently about like a week ago. And so every economist coming out was like, well, that is the forecaster for a recession. Every single time that has happened, in the last 40 years, we've had a recession. This gives us about 16 months, I think. So in, in like February of 2021, we'll be looking at another recession. So I hear that. Like, oh, that seems like data. That seems yeah. like something like – but then you'll hear other people come out and go, well, it's not always – or it's this. Or hey, it was just a brief moment that happened. Or, 
And I go, oh, I could see where people would get clouded or kind of go, well, maybe not, but I lean more toward just the hard analytics and right. science behind it to go, oh, shit, we're doomed. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, cool, man. This has been a lot of fun. Um, you're going to be in Minneapolis uh, at Acme. And um, and when's the last time you were in Cincinnati? I think it's... Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. I, I did a couple, like... Um, I haven't done Pill Bananas in ages, but I did, you know, some, like, little um, one-off kind of shows. Oh, I think it's I remember that. years, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. I did, like, this keep the place at one point. <laughs> there was I, a guy running a show. Was, yeah, yeah. And he um, it was kind of a coup... Uh, him getting you, I remember, and he did that with one other comic as well. He got a, like a, a big name headliner to come in and just on one night in the middle of his other tour, uh, come in and and uh, and do this show. And it was and, and over the Rhine, the over the Rhine neighborhood. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd love to get back to Go Bananas. We'll, we'll see. All right, cool, um, man. I'll, I'll put a bug in yeah. people's ears. I'm gonna I'm gonna see the guy this Friday. We're having our big comedy festival on the river. Uh, and so, uh, I will probably, I'm trying to interview him for my other job, uh, a podcast we do for that. So I'll, uh, when I have his ear, I will uh, tell him of some of the folks that are interested in coming to Cincinnati and, uh, oh, cool. yeah, Thanks. cool, man. And I'll, I'll pass along your, your electronic mail as our friend Jimmy. Parker says. <laughs> All right. Well, great, man. A good, good time. Where can people find the uh, podcast? I assume everywhere you get podcasts. Yeah. Anything that I do can be found at davidhuntsberger.com. Oh, there you if have you it. Go to Apple podcast or Stitcher. You can get the space caves. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's the best. I'm on Twitter, but all the links to that are on davidhunsberger.com. That's the best place to find me. Great. Well, I'm glad all this knocked out, and uh, I'll talk to you hopefully when you're in Cincinnati. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks David. All right, bye-bye. Okay, see ya. Thanks again to David Huntsberger for being on the show. You can catch David. Well, it looks like he doesn't have any dates coming up here, but if you go to davidhuntsberger.com, and Huntsberger is Hunts, standard spelling, H-U-N-T-S, Berger with an E, B-E-R-G-E-R, dot com, you can find all things David Huntsberger. You can find the Space Cave podcast. You can find it probably links to the old Professor Blastoff he did with Tig Notaro there, and uh, just all kinds of stuff. So, uh, yeah. Do check out David wherever and whenever you can. All right, so we are up to the song of the week, as promised. It's uh, by a group called uh, The Tribe of Good. Now, what's interesting, I was just, I stumbled onto this kind of by accident. I was going through Freegal's featured songs, thinking, well, maybe I can find something new. I'm kind of bored with what I've been listening to. And I'm going through and going through, and most of it's rubbish. And it came up with a few good things. New Martin Garrix tune is good. Well, that'll probably be a song of the week soon. Alan Walker's uh, latest one. That's pretty cool. And I saw this Tribe of Good, and I put it on, and the vocal sounds very much like uh, young uh, Michael Jackson, Jackson 5 era, but it's uh, I thought maybe it was even a sample, or this is like an old song they reworked or something, but no, it's an original song. Um, Tribe of Good is a collective led by a producer named Hal Ritson. He's worked with Katy Perry and uh, Kanye West and folks like that. And then he's mixed up with people that have worked with uh, Jamoroque and uh, Quincy Jones and people like that. So I guess it's just kind of a loose affiliation of people that kind of roll in and out of the studio under his direction. And uh, they had a big tune out last year uh, that got critical acclaim. I think something with the sunshine. I'm sorry, I can't remember what it was. But uh, the new, let me see if I can look it up here for you real quick. Uh, the tune that they had out last time, just going back here, is uh, Turn It Up For The Sunshine was the one uh, back, I think maybe back in the spring. 
that was out, but I found this one's called uh, Broken Toys, and uh, it very much, I think, is much more their aesthetic, at least what they've been described as critically, is kind of a fusion of electronic dance music and uh, soul and disco, and it's uh, it's really very cool. So I think you're going to dig this. Uh, this is my song of the week on PSJ Recorder, and this is the Tribe of Good, Broken Toys. So long, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.